0: the persecuted church across this world, all the people that are affected by that. Uh, and we live in a place, Lord, that isn't affected that way, but we, we lift up our prayers and we, and, our, and we offer support, God, to help those that are being uh, persecuted in your name. And God, when one part of your body hurts, the whole body hurts, and so we know that. But Lord, we thank you for calling us to build your kingdom and to build it strong and to build it to last. We love you, Jesus, and we ask that you would be here this morning, that you would uh, uh, beckon us into your word, and that we would walk away refreshed and ready to live the kind of life that you would have us live. In your name, amen. So as I said, we're starting this series. It's all about building a life that is going to last, that will last the storms that life has to throw at us, and that it's going to last longer than we will. Um, um, Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what you're building in your life? Maybe you don't put it in those terms, but that's a question that I'm going to ask over and over again during this series. What are you building? What are you spending your time on? What are you putting your influence into, your money, your resource, your time, your energy? What kind of life are you building You know, in in God talks about, uh, he compares the life that we live to a building that we build. In Scripture, he does this over and over again, and Jesus does it as well, and he he compares how we live our life uh, to building a building. You know, Jesus was like this genius communicator, right? He communicated to his audience, and he used these crazy analogies that people would totally understand. At times, Jesus communicated, um, and he would, he would grab analogies like, like farming analogies because he knew everybody in his audience would understand a farming analogy. He would use a shepherding analogy with sheep and goats because he knows everybody in the audience is going, yeah, I, I know that feeling, or I tried to do that, or I understand what he's saying. He even used analogies like lost coins that people look for, and we could translate that today in our society as lost credit cards, right? You look for your lost credit card. If you lost a, a, you know, a Visa card, you're going to go try to find it, right? So he used all these analogies to grab his audience, and so, this building analogy he uses really impacted them. There wasn't a person in the audience when he used this that wouldn't go, Yeah, building a house, I have to think about what I'm building. You have to be very intentional, and it made sense. And I think it works today. I think every one of you probably has some sort of experience around construction or a friend that you know is around construction, you understand the thought and the, and the intentionality and the planning that has to go into a building that's going to stand any amount of time. You know, some of you know I have a construction background. Yeah, back in the day it was a pretty big deal. I could write a book on how to hurt yourself on the job site. Yeah. And if you worked with me or if you knew anybody that worked with me, they'd be like, Josh is going to hurt himself sooner or later, and we should get it on video. And that's, there's a lot of videos out there. Anyway, that was my claim to fame. I could tell you how not to do it. Uh, but a few um, uh, years ago, my wife and I were talking about giving our kids a gift that would, that would last a few years, and, and we began talking about memories that I had and my wife had in different homes growing up with a treehouse in the backyard. You guys grow up with a treehouse, or maybe you had a buddy or a friend who had a treehouse. It's such a wonderful thing to spend the evenings or afternoons in your backyard playing in the treehouse. And my wife says to me, Josh, you should, you should build a treehouse. And I went, Yeah. Oh, oh, you mean right now. Okay, so I began thinking and planning and working out, and what kind of materials am I going to use, and, and where am I going to put it, and how am I going to get it all together? And, um, you know, I, I, I poured some uh, concrete and put posts in them, and I used a tree as a corner, and I, I began erecting this thing that looked slowly over time like a treehouse, I can remember one of my friends, uh, you guys know him, Jake Ingram, came over to help me one evening, and we are looking at the the floor that I had built on this thing. It's about 10 feet in the air, and it's this floor, and he's like, you know what, Josh? Um, if we're going to put a roof on this thing, we probably should make this thing square. Like, the dimensions should equal one another, so the roof kind of, and I went, yeah, I, I didn't think about that. <laughs> so we had to kind of go back and move some stuff around and, and, and move a couple of the joists around and get everything square. And then we built the walls and we built the roof. And, and sure enough, we have this tree house. And the kids get to spend time out there. But one of the mistakes that I made that I didn't think about in the beginning was the kind of material that I would use. I just went to the hardware store, and I got the cheapest material I could, and I had experience with that material, okay, so I threw it in, and I didn't think about some of those materials were made to be inside, not outside, yeah, you guys know where I'm going with this, so the rains came, right, the floods rose, maybe not that high, and my floor begins to rot and deteriorate, and so if you have kids, you're like, you're not going over to Josh's house, okay, that thing is dangerous, well, now before summer comes, I've got to tear the floor out and put external material like, like hard redwood or like a pressurized treating board, you know, planks or whatever. And and I got to do that. So I built this thing and it's not quite right and I have to go back and change it. And you guys know where I'm going with this analogy. It works. It makes sense. And. Everybody probably has some sort of construction analogy, a leaky faucet or a blown water heater. You know how kind of a pain that is. Or maybe your sup pump stopped working and the water rose in the basement. You know, you kind of remember those things. The building analogy makes sense to us. And, and for the next six weeks, we're going to talk about building our life in a way that will last. It will last as the storms of life come. So what are you building And if you don't know how to answer that question, what you're building is generally what you spend your time on. What do you spend your time doing? What kind of things are you spending your time thinking about? Are you a nest builder you're working on the family. You know, you got your, your kids and you got a nice house and you're trying to make it as comfortable as you can. And giving your kids, this is what my wife and I do, as many opportunities as they can so they can grow and learn and be, you know, functioning adults. Hoping, Lord willing, they'll be functioning adults when they grow up. And I, I just work on that and work on that and work on that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a nest builder. Maybe you're, you're a finance builder. You learned early on you're pretty good at making money and, and you count money and you save money and, and you go from year to year to year and, and if that chart goes up, you're doing well, right? Like the more money, that's a good thing. You want to work on the finances. Maybe you're a comfort builder. Maybe you're the person that is really concerned with how comfortable your family is and, and you want to go take trips and you want to have experiences that make them feel comfortable. You see, none of those things that I just mentioned are bad. None of them are bad. But they're bad if they're the point of your building. Because what's going to happen if that's what you spend all your time doing is they will be temporal. They will not last. And so you really, you really got two choices. You can, you can build your life in a way that will make it last, or you can build your life In a temporary sense, in a temporary way, that will go when you go. So, what are you building? What are you building? You see, God wants us to be builders of things, of buildings, of houses that will last. That's His goal, that's His hope for us. In fact, God's plan for you is to build something that will outlast you. Isn't that interesting? God wants us to build things that will outlast us. God wants us to build his kingdom with him. And this isn't a thing that he needs. Obviously, he doesn't need our help, but he, but he asks for our help to build his kingdom into the future. And so when you hear things like the the persecuted church is suffering, people are suffering for the kingdom, that hurts us where we are, even though we're not impacted in the same way. And we we want to build a part of the kingdom that will allow them to to persevere and have courage and hope. That's the kind of stuff that God is asking us to build. God's kingdom is God's desire for the universe and for your life. So that's his kingdom. He wants a certain thing for you. And he's asking you to build a life around it. And that might sound all well and good. Great, Josh, you had me at you know, building the kingdom. I'm in there. I'm excited. I'm ready for that. But we need to pause a minute. Because this isn't easy. In fact, it's probably getting harder as we go along. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, he says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And then later in that text, he says, each one must be careful. Must be careful how he builds. That gives us pause. That makes us go, wait a minute. No matter how many years I have left on this planet, we, we need to be intentional about this. We need to be careful about this, and Paul says, Listen, I'm a master builder. And that sounds like he's puffing himself up, but he says, but, it, but it's because of the grace of God that I have these skills. So God gives us these skills that we can use to build his kingdom. So Paul doesn't even take credit for the skills he has. Yeah, I take credit for my ability to injure myself. I take credit for that, so maybe I shouldn't take credit for that. But, but, but Paul takes credit at nothing. He says, listen, God gave me everything. I, By the grace of God, I'm a skilled master builder. And, and you, people that are reading this letter that he's writing, should be careful how you build. You should be intentional. You should take a minute and you should think about what you're building. So this is what we know. God in Scripture, in many places, compares our life to buildings and how we are to build. Paul tells us that we need to be careful and conscious of how we build. So we have to be careful at what kind of life we live. You know, our decisions matter, and they don't just matter in our life. They matter eternally. How we respond matters, how we act actually matters. It's, it's, it's a thing that we have to think about. We were listening to Jesse's presentation this morning on technology, and, and I'm thinking, like, man, I have to be careful about what I say and what I do and what I read and what I view online. It's, it's, a, it's a dangerous place out there, and everything I do has consequences, so as I'm thinking about even just how I use technology, I have to take a minute and I have to go, wait a minute, let's, let's pause for a second and, and think about this. How is it impacting me? How I treat people matter. How we think about things matters. The way we live our lives really matters to God. You can live in a way that God likes You can honor him with the decisions that you make. And and in turn, you can dishonor him with the decisions you make. And I I want to get one thing clear. God loves us. And how we live does not impact God's love because we can't earn God's love. He's bestowed that as a gift on us. But now that we are sons and daughters of the king, he's saying, hey, I I have a way that I, I want you to live so you can build the kingdom. And you have to make decisions, and you have to make yourself disciplined in certain ways in order for you to impact the greater kingdom. If if what I said has you a little worried, it's okay. I'm worried too. I want to be cautious about this. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about building. And this is the best, most powerful sermon in the world ever recorded. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And if I were you, I would spend a lot of time reading and thinking and studying. But I want to I read the last part of the sermon to kind of get us in the mood or in, the, in the, the right mindset to study this sermon. And that's what the series is going to be on, the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, um, Dwayne's going to put words on the, on the back so we can, we can read, you can read along. But this is uh, Matthew chapter 7, the very end of his sermon. So this is like the punchline. This is like all the information I've just given you. You need to think about it this way. This is what Jesus says in verse 24 of chapter 7. Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Oh, isn't that encouraging? That's so encouraging. But then Jesus flips it. He says this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash wow that that gives you pause doesn't it let's take a minute what what are we building our house for what are we building it on what, what's the structure how is it secured what we do really matters You know, interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't make a distinction between those who hear and those who don't hear. Did you catch that? In both Jesus' analogies, the people hear. He's speaking to this crowd and he's going, listen, you guys heard me. You heard me. So now it matters what you do with those words. You heard me. So, so that to us means that if you if you read scripture regularly and you memorize scripture and you spend time in the Bible and you and you do those daily devotionals that are so good for our hearts and all the stuff and it's like that stuff's awesome. It's really good. But you're still a fool if you don't put it into practice. And Jesus says even if you hear my words and you think about them and you love them and all oh, you recite them and you can remember everything I ever said but you don't practice them. You're like a fool who builds his house on the sand. Not even I would build a house on sand. I've tried it. It doesn't work. I'm kidding. Jesus is saying, "You you, you first have to hear me, and two, you have to put it into practice. Jesus' assumption is that we will listen. The question is, will you put his words into practice? And did you, did you hear what Jesus said in that little section? There's an assumption that I have made about the Sermon on the Mount for a long time. And it wasn't until recently that I really started, this Sermon on the Mount thing kind of bothered me as your average American westernized Christian. And I went, you know, there's, there's a lot of really hard things in the Sermon on the Mount. If you know anything about it or, or, or if you don't, it's, it's a tough Thing to swallow. You don't hear a lot of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. You don't hear a lot of people talking about Jesus's words in this case because they're hard to swallow. They're tough. If you don't believe me, listen to this. I mean, you just you just have to flip open your Bible and, and turn back and look at, hey, let's pick the murder category, shall we? Let's read to see what Jesus says about murder. That's right, murder. 521. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. If you heard that you have heard that it was said the people long ago should you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Yep, got it. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister Raka, which is like a, a cuss word or a swear word, it's like this negative thing, is answerable to the court. Oh, okay. Answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Okay, that, that one doesn't go down so easy. What was Jesus talking about? And, and, and that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Listen to what he says about adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Got it. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes it to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose a part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. That is not easy, light words. He says about divorce, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Got it. Jesus one-ups it. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. How can we live this way? It's too much. It's too hard. It was too hard with the laws that they already had. And Jesus is going, okay, you guys like those laws that you think that you're keeping so well that you're not really keeping at all? I'm going to one-up you. It gets harder. And so my assumption with the Sermon on the Mount was like, whoa, like I'm gonna kind of steer clear of that stuff because I just, I don't even know what to do with it. I'm gonna stick it in a category with like a big question mark over it. Like, I'm not sure how to live that way. I'm not sure if I can do what Jesus is saying to do. And at the end of the sermon, he says, hey, if you put my words into practice, you're like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And I go, how, how do I, how do I live, that, live up to that standard? How do you live up to that standard? it's interesting. There's a subtle phrase that Jesus used in his words that I think we will find hope in. You know, if I tried out and, and, and I played in the 2020 Super Bowl, NFL football, if I tried out, let's, say, let's just pick a, pick a title, you know, tight ends are usually pretty tall. I'm pretty tall. Let me just try out and be a, a tight end in the Super Bowl this year. Do you know what would happen to me? I would break my back. It would be like two plays. First play, I'd dodge a guy. The second play, they would cut me in half and I would die. I would literally die. And and can you imagine if one of the coaches came to me and said, Josh, (laughs) Josh, you not only have to play in the Super Bowl, you have to be the Super Bowl MVP. Good luck with that. That's my assumption with what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Perfection. Do it. You either do it or you don't do it. You do it, you build your house on the rock. You don't do it, you build your house on the sand. But that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what he's saying. I'll read it again. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, and we got to hear them, and we got to practice them, that's like an NFL coach coming to me and Josh I want you to train to be a tight end in the NFL. Train every day. Get up early, go to bed late, study film, work out, get strong, understand the game. Train to be in the NFL. Well, I can do that. Absolutely I can do that. You see the the, the subtle phrase or the word that Jesus used here is practice. Practice it. The harder you work on these things, the stronger your house will be. The more disciplined you are with these things, the stronger your house and your kingdom will be. The harder you practice, the further you'll stretch the kingdom of heaven. This is the point. Building a life that will outlast the storm and even us means hearing and practicing Jesus's words today. That's the point. Practice them. So as we go through this series, this is what I'm asking. Practice them. And right when you think I'm going to tell you what Jesus's words are, you got to come back next week. We're going to look at them like that next week. There's two points to his phrase. You have to hear them and you have to practice them. So I just want to take a few minutes and talk about what it means to hear. Because I think that's an important distinction. What does building look like? If, if you could draw a sketch or a schematic or a blueprint on what your life would look like, what does that blueprint look like? So we have like a goal to shoot for. I was reading this book. I've read it a couple times. It's a really good book. I recommend it to everyone. It's called Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley has five characteristics of a growing faith. And he says in the book, like, I didn't come up with these five. It wasn't like I thought in my big brain, oh, there should be five, so he created five. He was like, this is just what I've observed, and this is what a lot of people, a lot of scholars, a lot of theologians have observed. These things are present in a house that's being built for the kingdom of heaven. And I thought they were really interesting. He also makes a joke about, they all start with P, and he swears he didn't do that on purpose, but we know he did. We know he did. The first one is this: practical teaching. Anyone who's building a house with intentionality, with caution, with with um, the kingdom in mind, is being fed with practical teaching. Now, the good news for you guys: you have the internet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think my teaching is practical, but if you disagree with me, it's a great time to disagree because you can go out on the internet and you can get the best teaching in the world at your fingertips because we live in the informational age. You don't have to walk very far. You don't have to go very far. You can just get it on the internet. Practical teaching is present in a house that's being built for the kingdom. That's the first one. The second one, private disciplines. You could sit and you could listen to practical teaching all day long, but if you don't discipline yourself to privately study Scripture, uh, privately discipline yourself to pray and to connect and to interact with God, privately um, um, do things like fasting, and, and what you do with your resources, these private disciplines, those, according to a lot of studies in Andy's book, that this, this is what's present in a house that's being built for the kingdom. And then personal ministry. This is like you living out. You're actually doing the things that you're learning about. It doesn't stop in your prayer closet. You're going out and you're going, hey, I just met a new coworker and I'm pretty sure they're not a believer, so I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to love on them, and I'm going to share with them the gospel. This is my personal ministry. Or maybe you have a passion for homeless people. the the people that struggle with certain things. And and so you're going to connect with uh, Schenectady City Mission, and you're going to support them financially. You're going to pray for them, and you're going to go down there, and you're going to volunteer and work. That's personal ministry. That's important. It has to happen. It has to flow through you. You can't just store it up. And the next one, providential relationships. And this one is a little less controllable. Providential relationships is like you met somebody, You know, at your son's basketball game, you met another dad who's struggling with their marriage, and he asks you a couple questions, and you kind of get into a relationship and you talk about it, and and you go, Wow, providential relationships. That's like God may have put that guy in my life so that I can share with him who Jesus is and how Jesus can help him live in a way that is bigger and, and long lasting than him. Providential relationships. Be looking for those. And the last one pivotal circumstances. If you can control your circumstances, you should probably write a book. I think you would make a lot of money. Pivotal circumstances, we can't control our circumstances at least perfectly. So pivotal circumstances are like that diagnosis that you think is going to end your life actually gives you a ministry with people that suffer the same way that you suffer. Or, or, or that divorce that is just absolutely agonizing and it's ripping your heart apart. And 10 years from now, you're going to be able to speak into people's lives that are struggling with the same things. Those circumstances end up being like these tools that we can put in our toolbox that we can use. And God puts us in these situations. Sometimes they're, they're not painful at all. They're wonderful. And sometimes they're agonizing. Pivotal circumstances. So all five, practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, providential relationships, and pivotal circumstances, there's no way you're going to remember that. So flip out your phone, take a quick snapshot of that thing, And put it on your background. I'm serious. Put it on your background and then you can look at it and think about these things. They're important. And according to a lot of people, these things are present in your life when you're building a house that impacts the kingdom of heaven. You're building a house that will outlast even you. This is what it looks like when your house is built on rock. And this is what it looks like when you listen to Jesus' words in order to think about his kingdom. So building a life that will outlast the storm and even us means hearing and practicing Jesus' words today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we have this sermon that you preached. <laughs> Lord, thank you for your disciples who painstakingly wrote these words down. Thank you, Lord, that we live in, in, a, in a time period where we can have an app on our phone or, or uh, three or four Bibles in our house that we can flip to and we can look at what you said and, and how you said to build our lives. God, the struggle for us is not having the information. The struggle for us is the discipline it takes to learn how to put into practice your words. So, God, for the next five weeks, I ask that you would give us Um, patience and courage and stick to us that we would go back to your words over and over and over. Even though, Lord, some of them are hard to swallow and I don't know how you want me to live this specific way. So God, meet us. Meet us in the space that we take to look at your word and to learn how to put it into practice. God, I ask that we would be wise in how we build our house I ask that we would be wise in how we build your kingdom. And so when we hear of the persecuted church, we can get involved. And we've invested in a way that allows the kingdom to grow in that place. And when trials and tribulations come, Lord, that our house, this kingdom house, will stand. And it will be strong because it's built on putting into practice your words. Jesus, this is scary stuff, and it's serious stuff, but I ask that you'd give us courage to take one step after another in learning how to put into practice your words. In your name, amen.